0: If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. G'day guys, Travis from Fitness Education Online here, and welcome to the Fitness Education Online podcast. Today's guest is an Australian sporting legend. If you're like me and grew up through the 90s, You'll know his name uh, if you're someone who's been involved in surf lifesaving. You'll know his name, Guinness World Record holder, um, serial entrepreneur, really great guy. Super excited for, for this chat today. Just wanted to do a bit of an opener because it's going to be over two parts, so really important. The first part is we're going to be talking about his journey um, from being you know from being a swimmer, uh, you know, a prodigy swim star through to elite Ironman, and then how he parlayed that over the next 20 years, 30 years after his retirement to continue making money and continue uh, his business ventures. And then the second part is really a a really important part, which is why we're doing it over two parts, is his work now uh, with his Heart 180 company, trying to supply defibrillators all across Australia, so that anyone can have access to a defibrillator within 180 seconds. That is his mission. That is his goal. That is in the second part of today's chat. So if you want to jump into part two, by all means, go jump straight into the defib chat. But this first part is full of all sorts of gold uh, and why you, you. this is what you're going to learn that sets world champions apart from the rest of us, I suppose, that 1%. Enjoy the first part here right now. So super excited for today's special guest. We're um, going to run through a bit of a, a list of achievements. It's it's a bit long here for, for this guest today. Uh, basically, let's start off with with I suppose what he's most known for, and that is being an Australian Ironman Surf Life Saving champion, and essentially legend of that sport uh, here in Australia. A multiple time Coolangatta gold winner, a World Ironman champion. Uh, he was once dubbed the Australia's fittest athlete by the AIS. Uh, he's also one celebrity survivor for Australia. Uh, on top of that, a serial entrepreneur, uh, all-around good bloke. Every love chatting with him. And probably what he's doing now is, is you know, maybe he'll say is the most important thing he's done uh, in his, you know, business life so far, and that is, working within supplying defibs uh, across Australia and he's now become basically the largest supplier sort of of defibs to you know the community within Australia. And I, I think he'll probably say that's his maybe his most important thing or maybe his most rewarding. We'll, we'll find out as we chat to him. But the person we've got here is uh, Guy Leach, Thank you so much for joining me, mate, and uh, looking forward to today's chat with you. Yeah, it's
1: going to be fun. Thanks, mate. Nice intro. Appreciate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do my best. Do my best. <laughs> now, let's just start. We'll just start at the beginning a little bit. Mm-hmm. Iron Man. Those who, you know, I grew up through, you know, like the 90s watching the, you mm-hmm. uh, know, it was like the Kellogg's Kellogg's NutriGrone Iron Man Surf Lifesaving series mm-hmm. it was, it was on the TV every weekend and uh, it was a pretty big thing back then, uh, the sport itself. Tell us a
1: little bit about,
0: you know, um, your journey through, through that sport.
1: Yeah, so my, my background prior to the Ironman was uh, swimming. So I sort of jumped into swimming as an eight-year-old. I was a kid that got um, told to go into the pool by the doctor getting bronchitis a bit as a, as a youngster. Me too. Yep, yep. And it's a, it's a familiar story, isn't
0: it? Funnily yeah. enough, though, it's the one thing I hate doing now.
1: Yeah, me too. The only thing
0: I was ever made to do as a kid was swim, and I'd swim squads and all that sort of stuff. And hate it, hate it now.
1: Yeah. So the um, so we're on the same page with not swimming now, both (laughs) of us for our fitness. Um, But at the time, it was funny. So I just yeah, I wasn't a natural at everything I did in sport, but with swimming, I just picked it up really quickly. I was just one of those kids that. Mate, the water was something that was um, quite familiar, even though I'd never done it. And um, I got good at it really quickly. And I, I think what that did was, you know, I, I started doing swimming training like you did at the age of eight. And mate, by the time I was nine, I turned up to the state titles at North Sydney Swimming Pool. Um, my best stroke was breaststroke and I did the 100 breaststroke, touched the wall, mate, one and broke the, the national record for my age. and But I've been swimming like six months. And I just, I, I, like, you know, you have these moments in your life that you sort of remember, and they're sort of mm. these moments that mean something now when you look back and go, oh, that was a pivotal moment. Well, that was one of the ones for me because I went, how good does this feel?
0: Mm.
1: I'm actually the best, you know? And and so I sort of, I suppose I chased that then. And, and then all of a sudden then I'm thinking, Man, I'm a chance to represent Australia and, you know, and do all that sort of stuff. And I, I got lucky in that where I live on the Northern beaches, there was a pool swimming pool up three K inland that had the coach at the time was made. He was the head coach of the Australian Olympic swim team, a guy called Terry, Terry Gathercole. And I joined that squad at the age of 12, um, having done swimming at, 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 at a pool closer to where I lived and that pool was the thing that taught me excellence, taught me high performance, taught me how to improve mm. at, at your, the best rate you can, taught me about, about the platforms that you needed to to do to create excellence, I suppose. And at the time I didn't know that, but it was, it was a six lane indoor 25 meter pool. And if you got asked to go into the senior squad, you started in lane one. And mate, if you got to lane six, by the coach saying, right, you're in lane two, three, four, five, whatever, to lane six. Anyone that made lane six that I saw with my tenure in that pool represented Australia at the Olympic games. So as a 12 year old that started in lane one, when it, it become very, very evident that, mate, I just needed to get to lane six. Because anyone that in lane six was jetting off overseas to go and represent Australia at the Commonwealth games, the Olympics, mm-hmm. world championships, whatever. And so for a kid, it just, it made it really easy to, to follow the Yellow Brick Road to get to the finish line, you know? It was, it was very simple for me. So anyway, so but I did that till I was 17, and at the age of 17, coach said, you're in lane six now, guy. And I'd done all the lanes. It took me five years um, to do that, that journey. And mate, I represent Australia overseas. So I, I fulfilled um, that goal. But it was right then that um, that I saw a TV commercial when I was at home after training one night and it was Grant Kenny, the then famous Man, that made the sport um, famous at the time, back in the early eighties. And he was in a Kellogg's nutri ad um, and the ad was really, it was like a hero ad. You know, he was bursting into the water, dived over a wave, um, you know, paddled in on the board down a big wave, um, ran to this fake finish line with crowd screaming and raised his arms and felt
0: like I remember that. His...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then cut to the cut to him with a bowl of nutrient Grain and he turns to the camera and says, "Tastes great, stays crunchy." And I remember, <laughs> so this is the other moment. So I remember going, "I'm going to do that. I, I want to do that." So and you have not been the...
0: involved in like uh, nippers or anything as a kid? No, or... nothing.
1: No, because like... our cement coach didn't want us to swim surf because he reckons it would ruin our technique. And at the time I was ranked in the top three in Australia for medley swimming, which encompassed freestyle. And he was like, if you go and swim in the surf, it's gonna ruin your technique. And, and it's not gonna make you the best pool swimmer you can be. So he was dead against it. But man, I made my mind up. I was I was gonna be an I-Man champion. And I decided, so I, I literally joined the surf club at Manly, down at the beach, not far from where I lived, and the journey changed, and mate, that adventure started, and that was basically I had to learn real quick to catch up to the the Grand Kennys and all the other big names that were nibbers from the age of six right through to being in the surf club and living in the ocean um, when they were seventeen. So I didn't yeah, well, know any of that. So mm. you
0: you hadn't grown up surfing, or as you, you know, obviously maybe. Typical Aussie, grown up by the beach, I suppose, but but not not an
1: avid surfer or anything like that. It all came, yeah, wow. It all came then on. So you know, it's like wow. um, it's like right now with COVID, and we're tested, and we we have to pivot, and we've got to be resilient, and we've got to do things we're not used to doing. But the changes in my life that I made based on what I wanted to do um, created that world for me where I was like, mate, all of a sudden I had to learn real quick how to get skills in the surf because mm. I didn't have them. And if yeah, I wanted wow. to be the best and I wanted to win and all those things that I love to do and I love those feelings that I got from that, then mate, I just had to work out a way. And so that's what I did. I didn't have um, I didn't have the, the the time that these people had. So I had to go and work harder, work smarter and and, and do more of it to catch up yeah. so
0: I mean so I read that you went on to become you, you became world champion. How long was that journey from
1: starting at 17 to, to the world championship? So the one that was the one that was um, the, the game changer for our sport for me and my life which was the biggest day of change in my life was the cooling out of gold and that was a movie that um, was hitting the screens in 1984, 85. And mate, the movie was about two brothers that had a domineering father that favoured the older son and (laughs) just a classic, you know, sort of tale. And Grant Kenny, who was the then superstar in Iron Man that was a household name in Australia, played himself as a cameo role in the movie, right? So the movie makers were like, "Yeah, Iron Man's this surf carnival event that you see down the local beach, and it takes about 15 minutes to complete, 20 minutes to complete. You know, a swim around the boys, and in a short run down to your board, you paddle your board out around a couple of other sets of boys out the back, you catch a wave in, you jump on your surf ski, your kayak, you, you paddle out to further boys and back in." And if you added up that whole distance, it's probably like a kilometre, right? And you've got to get in and out through the surf. So anyway, that was, that was the big thing at the time. But the movie makers were like, that's not enough for our movie. We need more than that. We need this last scene when the two brothers are taking on Grand Kenny and there's the domineering father and the father wants the older, older son to win and the young son is the one that, you know, is probably going to steal the show and, and Grant Kenny's there. What are we going to do? So they come up with this ridiculous event on the Gold Coast, which was you run, swim and paddle 24 kilometers from Surface Paradise down to Coolingatta where the airport is, right? And you stop there, you jump on your, your, surf, your surf kayak and you paddle that all the way back to the start line, 46 kilometers. And you know what? We're gonna do that in January heat of 1984. We'll invite, we'll put up posters through all the surf clubs in Australia for all the the leading Ironman. We'll go and do the same in the States, South Africa New Zealand and any other country that Ironman is available and we'll film the shit out of it. We'll put this real race on and we'll put $50,000 worth of money, gold on the event to get all these best competitors to come out and do it and we'll put on the first ever professional Ironman race in the world and we'll see what happens. We'll film it but we're going to build this massive stand at the start-finish line at Surface Paradise where we'll get all the crowd. And Grant Kenny can't do the real race because he's in the movie, and we'll get the two actors, and we'll get all these other really fit-looking blokes. And when Guy Leach and all these other people, 100, are doing the real race, we'll film the finish of the event with the crowd there. And we'll we'll say, on the count of three, everyone cheer, and Grant and the two actors will run into the finish line, and we'll film that. And then Guy leaks, and the rest of the crew will come back four and a half hours later. So that was the event. So I turned up on that morning as an 18-year-old. So I've been doing Ironman for 18 months. I was was the best swimmer in the world for marathon swimming at the time. So I was very, very good at endurance. Um, I was lucky enough to find out that I was a good runner naturally without knowing it over distance. Um, And the ski and the board were like a work in progress, you know? I was like off my off my old plates and have my P's on, basically. Yeah, wow. um, and on the day on the Gold Coast, it was 35 degree heat, not a cloud in the sky, but there was no wind and no surf. So it was like paddling on the lake, which fitted me beautifully because at the time, my skill levels weren't the same as the other top men mm-hmm. in the world. So anyway, gun went, off we went, and by the two-hour two hour mark, having done a, an 11-kilometre run um, with 100 in the field, I was about 25th. Mate, I swam the next five kilometres into equal first place and then ran the next 4K into a two-minute lead. And that was the so two-hour So
0: it was a run, swim, 11, run?
1: 11-kilometre 11 run, a five-kilometre swim, and then a four-kilometre run. And then you had to board paddle five kilometres down to Coolangatta. But so that, was, that was the stretch of the Gold Coast to get down there. I got down there and there were 200,000 people on the coast watching this event. So I think the MCG AFL mm. Grand Final, Twice. two times that, that amount of people on the coast watching this event because they promoted it so heavily. I got to calling out up two minutes in front of the next person with 100 blokes behind me, right? Got on the ski, the most I've ever paddled a surf ski before in training was 15 kilometers and the paddle back was 24. I jumped on the ski and thought to myself, mate, I will never be in a position again to do this. Mate, if you've got to go and put yourself in hospital to win this thing, just do it because this day will never occur again. And um, but I just did, did what I shouldn't have done based on the amount of training I've done in the past I got back to Service Paradise a minute in front of three guys behind me that caught up a bit um, and ran into the finish line with 25,000 people at the finish, picked up $20,000 worth of gold, um, won the first ever professional Ironman race in the world. And that day a sport was born out of a movie because by the next year there was a, a series around Australia that was, sponsored by Kellogg's Nutri-Grain. And, you know, I, I went I t- turned up that day on the beach unknown. There was a bookie that was taking bets on the race. I was 40 to one to win it. I was the youngest in the field. I walked off the beach 20 grand richer with with a with a job for the next 15 years. And the following morning when I woke up with a hangover after celebrating the win, I was famous in Australia. Oh, Every wow. person had my name. I was a household name. I was on the I remember walking down to the beach um, in the morning with a hangover to go for a swim. And I walked past the news agents and I was on the front of every paper, the Australian, Sydney Morning Herald, the you know the Brisbane Times, Gold Coast, every paper in Australia. I was on the front with my hands up all this, winning the race in front of 20,000 people. I turned the television on that morning. I was the lead on the news, on Today Show, the news that, that day, like, My world changed in in 24 hours. Yeah, wow, that's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. Talk about pivotal moments in your life. My life was never the same again after that day.
0: So, I think there's a few things I want to ask out of that, um, and we'll we'll get to some of them a bit later. But you mentioned it was the first professional race. Like, I suppose now that the most famous thing is the Hawaiian Ironman. Is that, that, that's, that'll be the most, the biggest one now? Is that right?
1: The most famous. Thing relating to Iron Man now is Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man on, on in a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it it's ironic that when my kids were younger and they'd walk into the house, their friends, they didn't know that I was the Iron Man champion, but they looked up on the wall and there was a framed picture of me winning Survivor, and mm-hmm. and I was like the the flavour of the month with my friend, my my, my daughter's friends, because I'd won Survivor. You'd so, Survivor James, one. so you, you talk about Iron Man now, and you and our sport is unlike any other sport in Australia. In that, in the eighties and the nineties, we were as famous as the the number one rugby league player, AFL player, cricketer, or tennis player in Australia, to the point where. For five years in a row, there was a Sweeney report that, that, had, um, that did data on who were the most famous sports people in Australia. And I ranked between number five and number seven, um, most famous athletes in the country five years in a row. Yeah, with wow. People like Wally Lewis, um, Pat Rafter, Pat Cash, Greg Norman, Alan Border. So names from the past that were massive names in this country. I was in that same yeah. um, known you know, amount. So when you talk yeah. Iron Man now, yeah, Hawaiian Man would be on a global stage more famous. Um, and the Ironman today that do the surf stuff, it's not a professional sport now. It used to be. In the 80s and 90s, I would earn anywhere between a quarter of a million to half a million dollars a year as a kid um, through sponsorship and prize money. And when you, you relate that back to the 80s and 90s, that's a lot of money. Yeah, doing something that was a full time job that all the other Iron that did it were full time athletes as well. Yeah. So, so the question I wanted to get at is
0: Ironman's Man's obviously a, a varying event, so to speak, because the Hawaiian Ironman's Man's like a long triathlon, like a like a marathon style triathlon, isn't it? It's not surf ski stuff.
1: Yeah. So there's there's Iron Man, Man, surf Ironman Man was around before the Ironman triathlon. Yeah, the first okay. Ironman race was 1966 and Grant Kenny's father Hayden Kenny won that event. At and the, that was surf based. That's yep. and that was and it was surf based for the next 20 years before the first ever Hawaiian Ironman was run. Yeah, okay. In in 1980. So it, it had 15 years you know prior prior to that. Um, you know but they called it Ironman as well. And, but Surf Ironman had been around. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: I feel, I feel like most people now, if they thought Ironman, they think it's the 42K run, the whatever, hundred something K cycle and the, you know, 5K swim or whatever it is. Right. Um, I mean,
1: look, the, the Surf Ironman event, sport, it was, was an event where y- you had to master the ocean. You know, you could turn up to a beach and, You know, apples weren't apples in our sport because you could turn up like I did in 84 and the surf was flat. You could go to a place called PR, which we raced in New Zealand, and the surf was 20 foot, Hmm. which is like a five-story building looking out over the balcony down to the ground. Waves were breaking that big on that day and you had to work out a way of paddling your board and your ski out through that and getting back in again without dying. Yeah. 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 So, So our sport was very much A sport of skill, and you had to master the ocean to to be good at what we did. Um, And then there were variants in, you know, there were races where you ran soft sand, but then there were days when you ran on the shore's edge and it was hard sand. So it was like running on concrete. And if you've ever run on the soft sand, that's a lot different to running down on the water's edge. So, you know, there were all these different variables that came into our sport. And the guys and the girls that were the best at it were truly the best ocean people you'll ever find. Yeah. What, what I want to transition to now, I mean, you, you mentioned
0: you, um, one of the top athletes, five, you know, within Australia, recognised for, you know, five-year period or more, right? Professional athlete in this sport uh, that is now not professional. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's gone defunct. I don't know what the well, term it's, is. No, it's
1: really- um
0: yeah, you, know, you 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 used a bit of I suppose media in regards to celebrity survivor, but realistically, that that was fifteen years ago as well.
1: Throughout all this time, that's uh, it's it's nearly thirty years ago now.
0: The retired, the survivor,
1: I, I retired. Well, I retired <laughs> in nineteen ninety five from professional sport. Yeah, survivor was fourteen years ago, but I retired. You know, ten years before that exactly. Right. So.
0: What I want to ask is, as the the, the story as the tale as old as time is the professional athletes who don't uh, continue on with their, um, I don't know, I'm not sure, uh, popularity. They they don't they don't capitalise on the opportunity right yeah. of of their professionalism and 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 their what they were well known for. Yeah. What have you? How have you done that for thirty something years? from a sport that is now not like, it's not like it's the sport that everyone watches and everyone knows. It's a sport that not many people are, are too aware of at the moment. But what how, what have you done in that time to, to keep yourself so
1: relevant uh, well, and relevant? Yeah. So that like that's a really, really good question. And there's probably a few parts to this. Um, so it's not a simple answer. Um, let's first go back to, athletes that we've seen who have been significantly famous and involved in the general public's viewpoint for many years, swimmers of note, uh, you know, to boxers, to footy players and the like, and household names that we all have looked at and gone, how have they gone from being so gold-plated and just you know, magnificent in our viewpoint to just looking like they've come down the slippery slope and gone into the abyss, you know, and, 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 and I understand it. And so there's a relevance to a few things. One is the more famous you are at a younger age in your sport, the bigger the change when you retire from what you've done and go into the normal world. So yeah. you can imagine if you are famous from the age of 10, because you are so good at what you do in a sport that is massively high profile. Can you imagine how your life is every day? And I'll give you a little snapshot. So when, when Ironman was at its biggest, um, I, was, I was based in Queensland for a couple of years and Forex was one of my sponsors at the time, back when beer was all right to be to be associated <laughs> with, I suppose, yeah, yeah, with yeah. elite sport. <laughs> right, you know, and and yeah, you know, different times and different attitudes. Now, I I I used to go and open up boutique, go to the boutique pub launches for the Bond Corporation that owned, um, Forex. I couldn't go into a pub there at, a, at an appearance without security with me all the time. So I couldn't. I, I had to sell my house on the Northern Beaches because there was a bus stop up the road, and school kids worked out where I lived, and they would camp out the front of my house every day to see me, yeah, um, and touch me. And so you, you, so it's it's hard for someone to understand the change. So so every day when I used to race, well when I used to race over summer and it was on television every second weekend for three hours live on channel 10, mate, after a race, every day before the next race, I'd get patted on the back every moment. Oh, you're awesome. How good was that when you did that? I'd go into a restaurant. No, no, you're not paying for that. Can you just sign the wall? Can I get a photo with you? You walk into a clothes shop because you're looking at, no, no, that's on us. That's free. Mate, you're given cars. Mm. It's a different world, right? And the younger you are when you first get that, and you've got a long career, the longer that becomes normal. And I sort of worked that out when I'd go overseas, and you walk into a venue, and you got treated like everyone else. And you're like, oh, okay, that's what that's what this other is, people. This at. is what, yeah. Yeah, this, this is, is what's supposed to be yeah. exactly because you don't, you don't, you, you don't live in a normal world when you're that. So so so, tr- to you're a, an athlete at that level has retired and they've either been forced to retire through injury, their performances aren't good enough, they're too old, whatever it is. And they hit the, they hit the real world. If you're not ready for that, and you're not ready for that change, make depression, mm. anxiety, um, loss of identity, loss of self-esteem, all those things come into, into play for for athletes that aren't ready for that. Right. So you look, so to answer your question, what did I do? I knew that um, that my time over 15 years on television doing a sport that was highly profiled was a bonus for me if I could leverage that into the next part of my life. So I was very aware of that. And the other thing was I retired um, at my own Accord based on I didn't want to keep doing the extra training the one percenters that the rest wouldn't do to, to keep winning so I worked out that I was very aware of that so I, I stepped out going yeah I'm ready to go out and the thing the thing I knew was that the highs and lows that you get through your career and what I used to do were never going to be there again that you're going to get a lot more constants and a lot more average feelings, but those highs of winning a race in front of 20,000 people on national television and, and being a superstar like that, those days are done. So like, did I, was it an easy transition? No. Did it affect me from the point of view of self-esteem? Not so much, but it, but there were, there were flattened down periods with that changeover. The thing I had up my sleeve was that I knew that me trying to be the famous i man that can make a living off the back of being an i man was going to was going to not be around 10 years down the track because there's a new superstar that comes along in sport there's a new person that wins the olympic gold medal there's a new famous whatever so you, you get diluted right but what i did know was that i love fitness i love the training i used to do an i man and i thought you know what if i can pivot from being the i man champion and start presenting my image in the in the marketplace as the fitness expert that my longevity will last because I'm not competing against the next AFL star, mm-hmm. swimmer, whatever. So I was aware of that, and I knew that my profile, my my background in Man was authentic to the fact that, mate, you, you are a
0: fitness. Fan. Yeah.
1: So I went down that road. So I did things like I started writing articles. In magazines and papers about fitness, um, I put on Guinness Book of World Records with fitness group classes. Like I hold for Guinness Book of World Records, like I got, I, I own the biggest ever circuit fitness class in Australia with two thousand two hundred people did a workout with me, um, and I I leveraged all those to then build a fitness business around um, my profile. Yeah. So I did things like I I. I licensed my brand, my name, to companies to put on clothing, on dumbbells. On... And was this
0: was this your own
1: volition, or were you? Did you have a smart manager, or was this just was from managers. your own? It's, yeah, well. look, it's me because I wasn't recreating anything. I wasn't, mate. I wasn't Elon Musk that went and came up with an electric car that no one's done yet. You know, like I, you know, he's you know PayPal as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he done the goodies. He does the goodies. <laughs> he, um, but I looked at Walt Disney as an example. And I went, yeah, you created all these characters. Like you got Daffy, you know, Donald Duck and yeah. all, you know, all of them, right? Pluto. And, and where, the, where they were clever when, was when they took those characters and then licensed them into other categories hmm. on, on drink cups, clothing, so mate i don't i did nothing different so so my business was predominantly a pr marketing and branding company that presented Guy Leach in the right viewpoint to the general public in a authentic way so that i could then go and leverage my brand onto products that didn't expose me from a financial point of view and also didn't take up my time because at the end of the day, right, we get given 168 hours in a week, right? And and Elon Musk doesn't get a kicker because he's a billionaire and you and I that don't have as much money as him. So it, it comes down to how you're going to spend your 168 hours in a week and you, you don't get the week back that you just lost, right? It's gone. So I, I, I've always been very aware and back in the Man days, and let's go back to, when I decided that I wanted to be the best man in the world, but gave everyone else a 10 year start, that my 168 hours needed to be very clever. I didn't have the luxury of 10 years of background that these other guys had, right? So it was the same with with my business in fitness. How do I go and leverage 168 hours so that I am freaking everywhere? Mm. Everywhere you looked at the time, I was, I was in UI's idea training, Jonathan Coleman, on how to lose weight. You turn the television on. I was on stage with Arnold Schwarzenegger doing a Guinness Book of World Records down at his event in Melbourne. You went in, you walked into Big W and there was a big billboard of me in Big W with Guy Lee's clothing. I'm everywhere, but I'm still playing golf every second day and yeah. doing my fitness classes in the morning. And even down to my fitness classes, I didn't want to do PT stuff all day. But well, what I wanted to do was do a workout in the morning and I wanted to be on the ocean. So I created a, an aquatic boot camp on the water where the, the clients learned very early that I did the workout with them. Because mm. I want to do a workout, but I want to get paid for it. And I want lots to turn up. So when 40 turn up paying 20 bucks a session, that's a lot better than standing there with someone all day on one on ones. So look, you know. So like, you know, it's like, and and I'm not trying to say that I'm the smartest guy in the world, but I've always thought, outside the box, like back in the swimming days in the pool where there were six lanes, what do I need to do in the time I've got in the pool to get to the next frigging lane? Because I know if I get to lane six, I go, I go and represent Australia. So I did this. I've done the same with everything I've done. How can I do it different? How can I do it better? How can I use my time to the best of my ability? So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, it you know, does. It, it, it sort of sh- plan and a strategy around sort what of that.
0: shows how you've avoided some of those common pitfalls of, of elite athletes who who I don't know whether they fall through the cracks or, or whatever the, the the correct terminology is, but you know they they finish their sport and like you mentioned they sort of end up sliding into the abyss and. and you know, it's struggling they, through through everything they else.
1: Didn't direct, they didn't have direction then. So we got taught in that, in that swimming pool that what, what training you need to do, how you set goals, how you think outside the box and how you make your time with what you do the most effective. Mm. Um, and, and we were always taught six and sevens. If you're not improving at six and 7% a year, then you will not retain your number one status as being number one in the country the following year. Yeah, right. So it, it, it always came down to, well, then what do I need to do better and smarter than everyone else to get a better result? Because I do want, if I'm going to do it, I might as well try to be number one mm. at what I'm doing. Um, and so that was brought into that fitness side of what I did. Um, and, yeah, and I knew that, you know, the sponsorship money that I used to get was far easier to attain than the prize money trying to win a two-hour Ironman race, yeah. you know? So I'm like, well, let's try to keep that coming in from corporate Australia because mate, it's a lot easier to get that than it is to go and struggle. Train doing, and- which is like with PTs doing the one-on-one, one-on-one all day, as opposed to let's get as many into this session that's quite unique that other people don't do. And, and, yeah, and, and, yeah, I mean, and capitalize yeah. on your, your income.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that that's that's predominantly you know, our audience or that's predominantly our model of coaching as well is, is yeah. that boot camp style. And what you're talking about there is something we always I always talk about. You sort of create the culture you want. You know, you wanted a culture where I'm going to work out with you guys and we're going to do it by the ocean and we're going to do it with our surf skis or or whatever the, the situation is going to be for you that's our boot camp. that's what we're doing, that's our exercise, are you gonna come along and join me and do, do it with me?
1: We, we used to have, um, we had plastic sit on kayaks that were like these, anyone could sit on them. It was like a lounge chair that you sat on. But it was all about going into the Harbour Beach and doing you know, the, the, the exercise on the beach and then going to the next one and doing relays. But mate, like from day one, if you couldn't carry the kayak down to the water's edge by yourself from the storage place, we didn't train. I wasn't there to carry the kayaks for you. Mm-hmm. The other thing was the session started at 6.30 in the morning. If you got there at 6.32, mate, we're gone. Yeah. So that's when you start talking about the culture. And it was the same in our swimming pool. The swimming coach gave us a logbook. And you had to fill that logbook out every week. And then you had to give yourself a, a, a rating for your effort levels for the week out of 10. And you gave you gave mm-hmm. the logbook back to the coach. And, and Terry Gather, Cole would then come back to you and he would give you a rating out of 10 for what he thought your effort levels were for the week. And why you got a six out of 10, Mm. you know? So this whole brutal honesty part as well was all, all part of what I got, I got brought up on. And, and that's the culture that we had. Mm. It was like, you get given advice. It's not criticism. It's about you becoming the best you can be. And, um, and it was the same in our training sessions as well. It's pretty funny. The um that that rating system
0: reminds me of a story I've heard about Craig Bellamy, the Melbourne storm coach. The players get given a specific job. They then grade themselves on on how they did that job. And that grade that they've given themselves has to match, like what the coaching staff gives them, or or they need to be able to explain like why they gave themselves a 10 out of the 10 for the game when the coaching staff thought they were a six. And yeah, oh. you know, and it's like that that ultimate responsibility, that ultimate uh, accountability to your performance and that, that's probably why Melbourne Storm have been the team they've been for you know uh, the, the best part
1: of 15 years. So the, the only difference between that and what we were doing, I was doing that as a 12 year old back in the 70, <laughs> in the 70s. So what that's what Bellamy's doing and all these other guys now, mate, it, it was it was going around back then. Hmm. I mean in the 70s we were doing circuit um gym training mate in the 70s so on a Saturday morning, we had we had dumbbells and stretch bands, and and doing plyometrics and and jumping up on the boxes and, and stomach work and pronos. Mate, imagine in the 70s we were doing that with a with a, a clock that was one minute on, 15 seconds off, circuit training, and they, they and they bang on in the 80s, and 90s about oh we've got this revolutionary thing that's come out. It's like, no, 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 none yeah, of that man. stuff. You. You're just rebranding it and putting and, it into a box and, and putting a bow on it. And in the 2015s and 20s, the same story, right? And, you know, and all these ones that are banging on about, you know, we've got this great new way of training. Well, mate, Shamit coaches were doing yeah. that stuff back, mate, before these people were born. So, yeah, look, but good on them. That's, it's, yeah, it's more about the business model that... Uh, the branding and the marketing. Than, than, than the rest of it, because the rest of it's just been done to death. Thank you for listening. If
0: you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit
1: www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au.
0: Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? or check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes, all created by nutrition professionals, from breakfast to dinner and everything in between. We've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your clients' needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you, while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.